We could do both. We we can record both. Yeah. I guess we could do both. A really weird intro segment yeah. to mess with people's heads and make them listen to the entire episode so that we figure out what the hell's going on. Genius. Is the word soundbait invented? Um, maybe not. Ooh, <laughs> you heard it here first. So guys, I got a new GoPro. You got a new GoPro. You didn't have an old GoPro. Oh, sorry. It's not new. It's a used one. <laughs> it still counts. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's new to me. Anyway, you got a GoPro. Tell us about it. So it arrived in the mail today. Picked it up on eBay. Man, I love eBay. GoPro Hero 4 Silver with that like three-in-one GoPro pole arm thing. You guys know what I'm talking about? It's like a three-in-one where you extend it and then you can unscrew it. And then there's like a tripod that comes out at the bottom. Is that the official one that's like parts, like hybrid selfie stick and everything? Yeah, yeah, that's the one. Uh, I've seen that in stores. I never actually used it. Is it any, like, does it feel sturdy? Uh, you know what? It, it's hard plastic. So we're not like, it. it's not, you know, super high end. Right. It's kind of indicative of the price, right? Yep, yep. Um, but you know what? It's, it's going to do the job. Like, there's no doubt about that. It's going to do the job. In the little package came like a, a floating uh, hand grip for it. Um, a micro SD card, a second battery, uh, another one of those like clutching, just like a... Wait, wait, wait. Is that the second battery included by default or is that just a nice gesture from the previous owner? I I, th I think it's a nice gesture. I think, but I'd have to do some research. Okay. Yeah. It doesn't come with a second battery. At least the black version doesn't. Okay. So that's cool. Uh, yeah. So the gimbal should arrive tomorrow. So I am... Uh, going to become a pro videographer overnight. Don't mind my, you know, my skill. I've never actually taken a video in my entire life, but it, yeah, I'll be pro. You know what? Speaking of batteries, you might want to grab another one if you want to be really recording for most of a day because they, uh, well, it's a small, it's a small camera body, right? So it tends to chew through batteries pretty quickly. Oh, that's not good. To, do you guys have any idea what happens if you shoot 4k? Like, is it worse, better battery life? Uh, yeah, it, it dies. <laughs> <laughs> I bet, yeah. That's what okay. happens. <laughs> it, does it suck battery faster? Um, it's not a tremendous difference, but it does, um, especially if you're somewhere warm because it'll overheat. Oh, it won't overheat, but it'll heat up more recording in 4K. Okay. Um, but it's it's not something that I would worry about. I mean, you should always be recording 4K with that little thing as far as I'm concerned because the footage is uh, is nicer, obviously. But um, right. yeah, I'm, just, I'm warning you <laughs> that you're probably going to want to stock up on those batteries because, yeah. Okay, might have to get another one then. Another thing to carry. Actually, you know what? I'd be very curious curious to hear. Um, I'll want your feedback once you've actually taken it out in the field a little bit, because I want to know how much of a difference that uh, LCD screen makes to the battery life. Oh, true story. I There's a video somewhere. I was watching a really cool video and they tested a whole bunch of those batteries because they'd put the, the black versus the silver and there was like a negligible difference. The touchscreen did basically nothing, which made them wonder why there's no touchscreen on the black version to begin with. Right. Because the, uh, uh, forgive my ignorance, because I have little i mean next to no experience at all with gopros but the silver is is it the the top end model or or is that the black the black is the top end model okay yeah the right. black and the difference is just the frame rates that it, they can record right right yeah I, yeah okay. there might be other things but that's the big one okay yeah well that and the fact that the silver has the uh, the screen on it which yeah is it always seems strange to me because i i would have thought that the top end model would have the screen but i guess yeah me too <laughs> my my assumption is that probably what happened was they tested it at the higher frame rate that the black can shoot at 
Um, and when they had an LCD screen, they had to throttle down faster because of the uh, because of the heat. So they probably just couldn't make it all fit into the same body shape. Uh, yeah, um, which is a shame. But I mean, you know, they'll they'll improve that over time. Yeah, if they still exist next year. True. Yeah. True. <laughs> Doesn't sound like they're doing very good. Yeah. Well, you know, Olympus is taking over now with the uh, little thingy we talked about last last week. So right, right, right. Are you going to get a waterproof case to go with it? Uh, it came with a waterproof case. Oh yeah, it comes with one. Oh, nice. So yeah, like I'm going to go scuba diving and take all those professional looking videos and yeah, it's going to be amazing. Oh man, I'm so jealous. <laughs> I have no idea how to shoot video guys. <laughs> Never done it before. <laughs> the nice thing about the GoPro is that it's such a wide angle that you basically can't right. miss, <laughs> right? Like it's right. not... The fisheye lens, like I'm really excited to have that for whatever. Like we're going to London, Paris, those kind of areas. Um, and I wanted to go to the Natural History Museum. So you go inside and you know, you're in this little confined space. Well, now I have a little fisheye lens that I can take whatever at least they're snapshots right of the entire area around me that'd be cool i'm yeah. excited yeah i mean i don't particularly like the stills that i get out of the gopro but the video is fine good good i'm excited very very excited i got the the feiyu tech g4s gimbal the one with the little thumb stick or joystick and then you just like put it left or right and it spins in 360 degrees and oh that that i think i'm excited more for that than i am for the <laughs> camera itself sounds like a lot of fun it looks pretty awesome you better send us some test footage when you've uh... i'm excited to try that one yeah okay enough of me bigger news on the market apparently getting an a6300 which i also want to do i think i talked about that last week <laughs> apparently it's going to be impossible to get because of mother nature man mother nature yeah that's the worst yeah that uh that earthquake seems to be doing some uh, some damage to the camera industry as usual. So yeah, if you wanted an A sixty three hundred, I hope you pre ordered because <laughs> if we're talking about uh, these massive uh, factories where they produce these things, how come they never seem to affect Apple? Which it, it, in my mind, they are the company that ha- has to have the most square footage of any tech company, you know, in those countries. So. It, they, they always seem to avoid those issues, at least when it comes to the iPhone. I, I, I don't recall ever seeing an Apple product uh, being delayed because of these issues. I think that has to do with the locations, though, because the factories are not all in the same area. Right. I was going to say, like, Apples are in China, right? Yeah. And this is all this is all Japan. Japan. Okay. Right. That'll be part of it. Yeah. I suspect that the uh, that the area where Apple's factory space exists it's probably not as prone to earthquakes so either it doesn't happen or or their pr machine is just so good that they make it sort of invisible if there's ever an issue like this right right um and also their timelines are so different that they might be able to kind of um make adjustments without the public realizing it like maybe a new model of something or other was supposed to come out but then it just didn't and right you know because there's no real transparency as far as Apple's release schedules for things, it, it could just pass unnoticed. And, you know, like $150 billion. That might help, too. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Ma- of course. Maybe. Another <laughs> thing that kind of doesn't make sense to me is, is that Sony doesn't usually manufacture their products in Japan. Like, they usually have the factories elsewhere. So that's why the, the fact that it affected this particular camera model, uh, it seems odd. Maybe it's Maybe it's components or something like that. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Because I know the lenses are, are are made in Indonesia or something like that. At least the lenses I own, the it just I guess it just varies from product product to product. So. Yeah, yeah. 
Either way, it's unfortunate for A6300 owners. Uh, I've been keeping an eye out on the um, secondhand market here in Toronto just to see if any are popping up, but I think people have been uh, have been keeping them for the most part, um, which actually is is interesting because now there are a ton of A6000s floating around yeah. for for very good prices. So if people wanted to uh, you know pick one of those up, uh, it's it's still a magnificent camera, and uh, you can spend the the difference in cash on lenses, which is you know, always a better way to spend your money. Always smarter. Yeah, but that's got to be a tough sell, right? Because the A6000 is so cheap to begin with that, it, I mean, for how much are they selling them if they want to sell them used? I mean, yeah, not not very much. And they almost all come with the kit lens and everything like that. So it's right. It's a little strange. I'm not quite sure who all these people are and if they're upgraders or if it's just people that are um, you know, that weren't happy with the camera for whatever reason or upgraded or something like that. It, it seems like it's, um, it's the kind of camera that a lot of people picked up and then they decided they need to upgrade in, you know, air quotes to a DSLR. Right. Um, d- despite, you know, being able to probably get better images from the A6000 than whatever entry level DSLR they upgraded to. But I guess that's a, you know, that's why you need a, a camera savvy friend. Ah, like us. Right. There's something weird about that camera and and you've you've said it before here on the show and uh, I was I didn't get it before but I'm starting to get it I think which is that it's just a boring camera and I don't I don't really think I would enjoy shooting with it. Yeah, I I'm still very eager to um hear from you guys once you've either shot with that or with the A6300 because I I'm kind of like I'm wondering if I'm just crazy or my my ergonomic preferences are just misaligned or if it really is a camera that just does not inspire right. the kind of shooting enthusiasm that others do because it's it's weird like on paper it should be an amazing camera it's so good and it was you know ahead of its time yeah and yet I just like ugh oh, oh all I'm saying is that it doesn't like it is the ugliest camera ever right the a6300 i think it's like it's yeah so that's all i'm saying is it just doesn't inspire you me to go like pick it up and you know want to shoot but then you bring it to your eye and like those little green boxes just like fly around as fast as your eye can blink and uh yeah like did you guys see that review on mirror lessons of it yeah 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 yeah, he, yeah matthew uh, gave some pretty pretty high praise there Anyway, that's all I was going to say. The king of autofocus. The king of autofocus. That's what they called it. Yeah. Even though it doesn't look like a king. Yeah, to me the 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 main problem with that is that it just I it doesn't it doesn't call at me and it I know it it doesn't make any sense to say that, but just to give you an idea of how little enthusiasm I feel for that camera, I've been living for over a week now with my EM10 without any lens. Like I sold the only lens that I kept from that camera and right now all I have left is the camera body. So literally that it it's useless. It's sitting on my shelf there and it doesn't do anything. Yeah. Still I haven't sold it and still I haven't bought an A6000 or an A6300 because I'm just hesitant that I I'm not convinced it's the right move for me. So I'm still coming to terms with that and uh, it sucks. <laughs> but yeah. Marius, here's your chance. 
evangelize. Fuji evangelize. I've told you guys so many times, good products sell themselves. I don't need to evangelize anything. You guys will, you'll, you'll have an opportunity someday to use them and then that'll be the end of it. <laughs> I won't have to tell you anything except I told you so. Yeah. Um, it's funny though, Alvaro, you mentioned that you still have your, your Olympus camera. I actually borrowed my mum's EM5 Mark II this weekend because I, I kind of wanted to have that with me um, for no particular reason. We didn't exactly need it for anything. I just, I, I really love that camera in general. And so I figured I'd, I'd want to have it with me to see, um, you know, on a, 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 what I would consider to be a fairly difficult um, shoot, how I would uh, like it in comparison to the X pro two kit that was obviously with me. And uh, yeah, it's, it was interesting because I haven't shot an Olympus camera in quite a while now. Um, uh, I think the last one was an EM one with the three pro lenses. I had that on a shoot um, several months back. Oh, that's nice. It's so nice. Yeah, it was, it was nice. I have to say it was really good going back to going back to the Olympus ergonomics and everything. I mean, they're not, they're not better than Fuji's to me, um, but they're uh, the compactness of the camera and the EM five in particular is just a very lovely piece of engineering. It feels, uh, Josh, you're, you're always saying this, but it's, it's very true. It's just built very well. It's so, oh, it's so good. Yeah. It's my favorite camera ever so far. It's, it's really impressive. Um, you know what I like about it? I, my favorite part about that thing is the shutter sound. I love the little, like, it's like quiet and <laughs> inconspicuous and oh, like in comparison to the a seven two, it's just like a door barn door closing, you know, in comparison. Yeah, anyway. Yeah. So I love that sound. Well, the fashionable thing now is to have silent shutters. So Yeah. The M5 Mark II is awesome. But by the way, this, does the X-Pro2 have that one? The uh, a silent shutter? Uh, it does, but it also has what I consider to be my favorite shutter sound of any camera that I've used so far. So I'm Oh yeah, no, but I'm just uh, I, I'm referring to the type of situations where you don't want to be noisy like Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, no, it it does. It does. It has it. We should record it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, uh, maybe we do that. We replace, uh, for, for one episode, we replace the, uh, the, uh, old Canon film camera shutter sound <laughs> yeah. from our episode sound <laughs> effects with the X Pro 2. Yeah. By the way, in, in case you don't know, that's from my Canon EOS 3, which we talked about last episode. That little sound you can hear on the intro of the show sometimes. That's the shutter sound from that camera. So there you go. And now that we've told you that, you will have heard the Fuji one with this episode instead. So now that you're confused. (laughs) (laughs) We can do both. We we can record both. Yeah. I guess we could do both. A really weird intro segment to mess with people's heads and make them listen to the entire episode so that we (laughs) figure out what the hell's going on. Was there other Sony news this week? Let's just like get, keep this ball rolling. There's some more, yeah. So we've got uh, we've got a review on digital red rev dig, dig, the, the digital rev TV of the uh, Sony 24 to 70 um, f2.8 GM lens, which uh, is of very little relevance to me, but um, it's quite a mouthful. It's also a big handful, apparently. <laughs> Holy crap, I was watching that video and I thought that there was something weird about the lens that they used or the angle when I saw it in his hand. I was like, this is a massive lens, like holy. Yeah, and to be fair, Kai is not a huge man, but still, it's it's a big lens. Yeah, true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It also looks really, really big on the A7R too, right? Like, because it's a smaller camera body. You put it up, like he, he does compare it there to the, uh, to the Canon L lens, right? Yeah, and they're basically the exact same size. 
but yeah, it still looks huge. And then you think about the Nikon one, which is like really a lot bigger than both of them, and it, and then it it's all kind of getting out of control. Yeah, but we did we did have this conversation about size and how realistically mirrorless is not just about being smaller. So it doesn't really bother me that it's big. It's just kind of remarkable how big it is uh, because as far as mirrorless lenses go thus far, they really haven't been too large until you go into the like, yeah. you know, um, extreme telephoto end of things. And anyway, but yeah, optically, I think it looks great. Right. Well, what surprised me more though, was that Kai didn't like the bokeh. Yeah, me too. Which is really surprising. I, I thought like, Sony's been touting this big with all three of these GM lenses, and now basically the biggest photography reviewer out there says that it kind of sucks. Yeah, because traditionally lens development technology had to compromise between getting a lens to be sharp across the entire frame or getting a lens to have really beautiful bokeh. But to get both things in the same lens was very difficult. And Sony was... Uh, bragging about how these new GM lenses actually had the best of both worlds. So it's it's it is surprising to see that Kai really he literally said that the worst thing about the lens is the bokeh. Yeah, and that was that was surprising. I mean, not that I care about it personally, because like we said last week, I'm not particularly picky about about that aspect of any lens. But it's surprising, and if people are willing to pay a very high premium for that lens, one would expect it to perform really good in all aspects, including bokeh, but apparently that's not the case. In in all fairness, though, he doesn't say that it flat out sucks. Like, it's not like it's ugly. It's just not like, it's not as pretty as the 85 millimeter or anything that Canon offers, right? Yeah, fair enough. But you're right. He says it's the worst part. And he said that it's not stabilized, which we've talked about before as well. But he kind of just kind of brushed that under the rug. I was surprised by that. Right. Although I, I assume that they're they're doing it that way because um, now going forward, the A7 bodies are probably going to have the five-axis stabilization in them. So yeah, you know they can get away without making the lens bigger. But then you would think that they would yeah be able to make it smaller. You'd think the lens then, but yeah, is what it is. I'm still interested in it for what it's worth, guys. I still want it big time. Yeah. Funny thing is, earlier today I I came across a lens guide, you know, of all the E-mount full-frame lenses that are available today. Uh, and the, the guide included the GM lenses. And the, the guy who wrote the, the guide said, th- about these 24-70 lens, he said, if you can only afford one lens, like, make it this one. But the thing is, if you can afford this lens, you can easily afford to have two very good lenses that are not this one. Yeah, I mean, that's a peculiar... Huh. <laughs> so, yeah, <laughs> that's kind of... It doesn't make a lot of sense, but, you know, I mean, I, I get it. If you need a fast zoom lens, this is basically your only choice. So it doesn't make any sense to, to just get picky about it because you either get this one or you have no other option. So that's pretty much it. It's also the classic walk-around zoom focal range, right? I mean, this is kind of the... The, the lens that that every system should have the the one that gets you from decently wide to pretty telephoto and hopefully does it with with good optical quality so i'm i'm glad sony's got this one in there now yeah. f28 i think is a reasonable um aperture for it and yeah it's big but you know what if if the optics pan out then that's not that's not a problem especially given the fact that 
it covers so much range um, in terms of focal length that chances are you bring this one lens and then suddenly you're carrying two fewer. So right. the camera itself is heavier with this lens mounted, but your overall kit is still lighter. So it's it's good. I'm not going to lie, guys. I'm a little bit nervous about heading to Europe in a few weeks with three primes. I would way, way rather replace all three with this thing. Well, not all three. I mean, I wouldn't get rid of the 85 prime. No. Well, but for the trip, I think for just the trip, if I... I could probably get away with not having the 85, but you're right. Um, regardless, I could at least get rid of two of them at the very least. Um, but yeah, I wish I had that one. Mean- that. Meanwhile, it's kind of funny because Alvaro was just telling us about how he wants to do the opposite. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Because I He already lives in Europe. That's why. <laughs> I, exactly. I've, I've already taken every picture that you can take in Europe. Exactly. So. <laughs> a, I, I have no use for that anymore. <laughs> Move to Canada. <laughs> yeah, I should. But in Canada, if it's snowy, there's so much light that I don't need the f2.8 aperture. <laughs> uh, okay, so clearly you don't want the f2.8. You've made that pretty clear. Well, it's not that I don't want it. It's that the, the, the trade-offs are not worth it to me personally. So Jason Lanier wasn't able to convince you this week, hey? I'm afraid he wasn't. No. No. <laughs> that, this was a, a fun thing. This is an old video back from February. I mean, it's just a few months ago, but in the photography industry, this is like ancient history, especially in the sunny, <laughs> sunny world. So he made a video comparing the GM 24-70 lens with the previous uh, Sony size 24-70 f4 lens, which I do own and I have reviewed. I have used that lens for over a year now. And here's the thing. I've been feeling for a few months already that the Sony size zoom is is not a lens that makes me happy. It's it's just not a lens I enjoy using. And I used to think that it was because optically it wasn't as good as other lenses for the Sony system. But I think I've come around since then. I don't have a problem with that anymore. I mean, this lens got mixed reviews. Uh, People said that it was soft in the corners, especially at the wide end and blah, blah, blah. In general, it has a like a run-of-the-mill reputation. Like It's not a lens that's going to take your breath away. But I'm okay with that. I've used that lens. I've seen how sharp it is in the center, and it's plenty sharp for my needs. And I don't ever need sharp corners on any of my pictures because I'm not a landscape photographer. I'm not... Uh, I don't typically shoot pictures where I need the entire frame to be tack sharp, especially not at 24 millimeters. So the, the problems, the, f- the flaws of this lens are not relevant to me. They're not deal breakers to me. And the improvements that the GM lens would give me because of that reason, they are not as valuable. So basically I would gain slightly better bokeh if you if you don't believe Kai, if you go with the general opinion that these lenses have great bokeh, then I, I guess it would be a little better than the Sony size. I would get a slight increase in sharpness in the center and a noticeable increase in sharpness in the corners, but then again, that's not something that I'm interested in. And I would also get the, the trade-off would be that I would get a much bigger and heavier lens and it would cost like twice as much as the lens that I already own. So it's just a a proposition that I'm not interested in at all. And you were just saying, Josh, that it would be the perfect travel lens for you, but I am not sure about that. I mean, like, on a trip, I think the F4 lens is just perfect. 
I'm not usually looking for super shallow depth of field shots when I'm when I'm away on a trip. And for every other requirement, for every other case, the f4 aperture is more than enough. Fair enough. So that's just my two cents. Yeah, but you're also a prime shooter primarily. I mean, I think that's where your heart lies, not with zooms. So yeah, I, it used to be. I mean, back when my when the Olympus EM10 was my main camera, I only shot primes. Like I never owned a zoom lens for that camera other other than the kit lens, which I sold like really soon after I bought the camera. So I was an, an, an all primes shooter back then. And the thing I miss the most about that camera is being able to take all of my lenses, all of the three, four primes that I, that I owned in a reasonably small bag and just uh, know that I have every lens on me at all times. Yeah. That's not something you can realistically do with a full frame camera. And I'm okay with that. I mean, I don't really need to have every lens with me. But yeah, I do miss having several really high quality, really fast primes to kind of play with the different fields of view. And you can play with the field of view uh, with a zoom lens, but it's not the same shooting experience. And I just don't enjoy it as much. I, I don't, every time I put the zoom on my camera, I, I don't, it's just boring to me. And it's a perfectly good lens. It's not a fault of the lens. It's just that I think I enjoy more shooting with primes. Yeah, you, you. You said it perfectly. Yeah, I mean, I, I mentioned it because I agree with you, um, or at least I'm, I'm in the same boat as far as preferring primes. Um, I don't own any zoom lenses right now, and I'm thinking I'll probably keep it that way. Um, I, I kind of liken it to the difference between driving standard or driving auto. I don't know why, but for some reason, um, shooting with zoom lenses just makes me feel lazy. <laughs> it's like, I don't know, I'm not, I'm not being as creative in my um, seeking of interesting compositions because I'm just sort of like, oh, let's try it at this folk. No, okay, let's zoom in a little. Ah, let's zoom out. Ah, whatever. Yeah. It just, it doesn't feel as uh, involved for some reason. I, I kind of struggle to, to shoot in the same way. Um, yeah, me too. Which may just be a fault of, you know, my, my brain's wiring rather than any fault of the lenses. But I, I just, I prefer primes. And since switching to a prime only setup, um, I'm a lot happier, uh, including with the shots that I'm getting. Uh, I just, again, it, for, for whatever reason, I seem to operate better um, with primes. And the only downside really is that uh, you have the the switching process, yeah. um, which for me is is not the end of the world, but it is something that's there. And I think this is why... Um, so you often see wedding photographers and, and, um, other professionals who do tend to have to cover a lot of different kinds of things in a short span of time. They just get multiple bodies because then you got, you know, you have both of them in your bag or both are hanging off you and you're not switching lenses in the field. You're just sort of dropping one camera, hauling the other one up and, right. you know, getting the shot that you need. So, and there's a huge difference between shooting for pleasure and shooting for you know, an event like a yeah, wedding absolutely. where you need to make sure you capture every meaningful moment. Yeah. When you're shooting for pleasure, you you know you can take your time and get the framing just like you want it and all of that. And and the whole process is a lot more enjoyable. But when you're when you're in work mode mentally, you're just firing away and the, the less you have to mess with the equipment, the better. So that's why zooms are naturally the preferred choice for wedding photographers. Yeah. And uh, if I were shooting weddings professionally today, I would definitely uh, want to keep the Zoom and even buy the GM. Why not? Because then I would have a legitimate need for it. 
Yeah, especially in the low light, because then those extra stops of light gathering would uh, would come in very handy. Yeah, because don't get me wrong. I mean, sharpness-wise, that's not the reason why I would want to get the GM. I mean, I wouldn't hesitate to shoot a wedding with the Sony size zoom, provided there was enough light for it. Like, it's not at all a matter of sharpness, which is ironically the thing people criticize the most about the lens. Or, you know, Alvaro, you could just jump into Fujiland. I'm tempted. Yeah, me too. Me too. There are several things that Fuji does better than anybody else in the industry. And I'm definitely jealous of a few things. Totally. And I'm not the only one, apparently, because we recently saw an article from a Sony A72 user by the name of Robert Clark, who tried the Fuji X-Pro2, and uh, he he really liked it. He He was very happy about it, and it made my life a lot easier. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> well, he bought it. Yeah, yeah, he did. He you know, did, I mean, that's yeah. that's a pretty good endorsement. And he, um, in the introduction to the article, he talks a lot about his history of, uh, you know, like what other cameras he's used and stuff like that. And he's he's used quite a number of cameras and different systems and things like that. So it's, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting to see what someone with his shooting experience um, identifies as um, important in the Fuji ecosystem because everyone brings their own perspective to things and what stands out to me is probably not the same as what's going to stand out to him. Right. Um, but I found this article particularly interesting in light of the fact that you guys are Sony shooters and, uh, you know, I mean, the a7 II is the exact camera. So it's just, uh, you know, it was interesting because obviously he's he's pulling out specifics that that interested him and that he enjoyed. Um, I would like to see long-term how he finds the two systems in terms of which one he's reaching for and in what circumstances. Right. You know, I mean, it's, 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 it's a luxury to have both. Um, so I just wonder which, which one actually gets used more in the long run. Well, I'm, I'm curious about the shooting experience. Like he mentions that one of the things he likes most about the Fuji Expo 2 is that the, every, fundamental control is at your fingertips that you don't need to dive into a menu to switch the ISO or the shutter speed or the aperture. Yep. But that's also true for the a7 II. Like really, you don't need to fiddle with the menus to change the ISO, which is the only parameter that you don't typically have access to on a dial. You can you have a very convenient shortcut right. on the D-pad and you can you don't need to take your eyes off the viewfinder to change the ISO is what I'm trying to say. Right. I never do. Yeah. And, and like Dan was telling us the other day uh, or the other week, I guess it is now, um, once you've set up your Sony camera the way that you like it, um, realistically, you shouldn't really have to deal with the menus unless you're doing something very specialized. And so I, right. you know, that, that part of it kind of goes away for me. I, I tend to ignore complaints about the menu systems being bad because who, who cares? Like I, I don't, even when I'm setting up a camera, it's like the one time I get to know the the menu system and even the most obscure ones that I've seen are still not really that bad. Like that's not, that's not even close to a deal breaker. Um, but I think, uh, I think the other side of it, the shooting experience that, that doesn't have to do with um, the menus, it's like the placement of those controls and the immediacy of them and the way that, um, I, I don't know. I mean, for me having an aperture ring versus a dial, uh, it just feels better. It feels more uh, direct because then it's not like two of the same kind of control right. for two different kinds of um, of like shooting parameter, right? I mean, I know that the ring is aperture and the the dial is going to be 
shutter speed. And it just, in my brain, it, for whatever reason, that's that's easier. Right. But to be fair, you should still have a ring for aperture on the camera body. Yeah. So having both is the ideal situation. Yeah, that's true. I really want one of these as a backup. Backup, you know, in quotation marks. It's like my everyday camera, but uh, that's what I want. Man, I, I just like, I'm lusting after it right now. <laughs> I'm curious about something. Uh, does the x 2 have any customizable buttons? Yeah, it does. Okay. Uh, I don't know how many of them, but it has several and yeah. Okay, because it seems to me that Fuji cameras are a lot more opinionated. Like the design is a lot more, uh, it tries to guide the user as to how is better to use the camera, if that makes sense. Like, whereas Sony cameras are more like, here are all the buttons, you can configure them however you like and yeah. shoot away. You know what I mean? It's sort of like the Apple approach to design, like this is the right way to do things. And if you're not 100% happy with that, we'll give you some leeway to customize these and that, but you should really be doing things our way. I don't know if that's the experience at all, because I've never shot with a Fuji camera, but that's the experience I get just by looking at it. So would you say that's a fair assessment? Or Yeah, I, I mean, from my perspective, that, that definitely seems fair. Um, there are... Um, I can count five customizable buttons on the X-Pro2 right now. Um, but honestly, the the things that I assign to it are kind of irrelevant because I rarely use them. Um, you know, most of my shooting does not require that sort of stuff. And um, the, the way that Fuji actually handles assignment of these parameters, by the way, is really nice. I'm not sure if, uh, if Sony does the same thing, but anytime you want to reassign one of the function buttons, you just press and hold it and it'll automatically pop open the menu that lets you choose what that button does and assign it. So I just found that really, really quick. Um, if you're getting a new camera and it's a Fuji and you want to set up the uh, the custom buttons to do what you want, um, just be aware of that because it's, uh, it's going to save a lot of time versus digging through the menu for everything. Um, but in any event, yes, you're, you're right. I mean, it is a more opinionated camera. If you want your shutter speed to be controlled by, you know, something else, then you're out of luck. I mean, there just isn't, there's nothing else for it to be controlled by. There's no assignable dial. Right. Uh, well, no, there is, there are assignable dials, I guess, but it's, um, it, I don't know. It just seems silly. Like for, for me, I wouldn't really assign one of the dials to do that when I've got it on the top. Um, right. But, you know, actually, you know what, if I'm counting the front and rear dials, then it's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven assignable controls. Yeah, seven. Yeah, it's pretty good. So that's not too bad. It's pretty good. I I, I don't know why, but I thought it, it would be fewer buttons. But. Well, it's the four directional buttons. There's a function button beside the shutter button, and then there's a front rotary dial and a back rotary dial that you can assign. Right. So, you know, it's, it's pretty good, but then there are dedicated like, uh, auto exposure lock and autofocus lock buttons. And those are not assignable or customizable or movable or anything like that. So, um, you know, your, your impression is, is kind of true and kind of not true depending on, uh, um, what your preferences are like. Right. Um, but I also find that the way that the controls are laid out are generally, it's generally quite thoughtful. So, even if it's not where I might be used to it, after I've shot a bit with it, I'm like, oh, you know what? That makes that makes sense. I'm okay with this. Um, and then it just stops being a concern. So I don't know. I mean, this is why I, I'm really eager for you guys to get some hands-on experience with any sort of, um, you know, Fuji kit, because I this is the kind of thing that, um, you know, for, for me is not a problem, but for you guys might turn out to be an issue. So I'd, I'd be very curious to see. 
Right. Um, and you know, this, this is, uh, this article works in my favor because now you have an extra voice added to the choir of, of people <laughs> that are tempting you to, to give it a shot. <laughs> so when are we getting an expert too, Josh? Oh, I was kind of hoping that, uh, Marius would be able to swing us some sort of review unit. He, you know, he, I, I know a guy, he, he <laughs> did that himself, you know, so. Yeah, let's see what I can do. Let's see what I can do. <laughs> well, he might be able to get you one, but in order to get it to me, it's going to be a lot trickier. True. Hey, you know, I, I, I leave for a long trip in two weeks, Marius. I could use a fourth camera. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, it would be fourth for you. <laughs> That's crazy. Uh, fifth with the iPhone. Hi, yeah, yeah. I have a problem. No, I don't, I don't think you need that many cameras. You got to, you got to actually travel while you're traveling. Well, I do have four hands, like two between me and then two with my wife. So she could carry two. I could carry two. There's no room for the like a Q at that point, but hey. Right. I just feel like she might have other plans for her vacation rather than <laughs> just carrying your gear. Um, but I could be wrong. <laughs> I don't know your life. Um, so let, let's talk a little bit about how that wonderful Fuji kit, you know, handles in the field. Because Marius, you went on a pretty cool shoot up north in Canada this weekend. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Oh boy. Okay. So I was on a shoot this weekend um, with my girlfriend and partner, Shannon Litt, who is a uh, filmmaker and director. Um, she's my partner at the agency. And uh, we decided that <clears throat> as an agency, we were going to produce one of her short film scripts that, that she's been working on. And so this weekend we went up to shoot it um, and we went to a, um, a, cottage area about three or three and a half hours north of Toronto. So in beautiful lake country, if you're not familiar with the area, it's basically like um, all of Northern Ontario is just peppered with beautiful lakes, big forests. Um, it's, it's a really nice area. The problem that we had was of course being um, May, uh, it's uh, the height of mosquito season uh, and of insect season in general. So um, the fact that we were shooting outdoors in the woods for most of the weekend made it uh, uh, somewhat less relaxing and uh, somewhat more stressful than it might otherwise have been. Um, but in combination with uh, a rainstorm that caught us, it made for quite an interesting test ground for my Fuji kit. Sounds like a very relaxing trip too. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's uh, you guys saw the picture of, of us in our... Um, anti-bug getup, which... I like the pajama pants. Like, it just added a little bit of flair to the whole thing. Wait, so that wasn't the regular clothes? No, no, no. No, no, no. That was that was the... That's what we wear here on a normal basis, Alvaro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's what all Canadians look like. No, no, no. It hey, I've never been to Canada, so... Uh, Bear with me. It's, no, no, it's fair. It's fair enough. But no, we we actually um, invented that outfit on the second day because on the first day I was wearing um, shorts and sort of bug net pants over that and... Uh, that was not sufficient defense. So on day two, it was the shorts and then my pajama bottoms over that and then hiking boots and the netting and layers up top. And it was, uh, it was pretty crazy. Um, but anyhow, the, uh, the camera, um, performed very well. And even in the rain, I, I was, um, out there for most of the time shooting with the 35 mil, uh, F 1.4, the old one, which is not weather sealed. Um, but it didn't seem to matter very much because I was out there, it was pouring, um, I was getting the shots that I needed and, uh, the lens is fine. I mean, the camera is obviously weather sealed, so I wasn't worried about that, but, um, it seems that the lens is also at least rainproof to the extent that I was 
um, exposing it to rain. So that's good. Yeah, it's one of those things we've mentioned before that it's one thing when a company flat out says that a product is weather sealed, but today's tech is that the every product is very resistant to at least you know your typical rainfall. Yeah, and that's why I wasn't too worried about you know risking it as it were. So. Um, Yeah, I mean, don't blame me if you if you take your lenses out in the rain and they break. I'm just saying that for whatever reason in my in my weekend experience, it, that's not what happened. Um, but anyway, yeah. So I had the um, I had the 35 and I had my 14 mil with me, and I took some uh, some shots of the lake at five in the morning because we we had to wake up early for one particular scene. And uh, man, that I fall more and more in love with this 14 mil lens the more I use it. Um, It is it is a wonderful wonderful piece of glass. It's very easy to get great images out of. Uh, I basically I've tossed a circular polarizing filter onto it because I wanted to uh, kill some of the reflections on the lake. Right. Um, but it's it's just you know point and get amazing images, which uh, is exactly what I want out of a out of a wide angle lens like that. I I still think it's not quite as versatile as the 16 in terms of shooting something that isn't landscapes or you know or isn't Uh, environmental or architectural or something like that. It's I still struggle to use it when people are involved in the frame somehow. But um, that's you know that's not really a, a problem with the lens. It's it's not designed for that. So um, yeah, um, the the interesting thing I, I suppose is that I shot um, deliberately. I shot the entire weekend using um, one of the I guess less common film simulations, which is called uh, ProNeg High. And I don't know why this doesn't get a lot of attention. Um, you know, you, you hear a lot of people, especially X-Pro2 users, raving about the Acros film simulation, which I love. And, you know, the classic Chrome was obviously a big selling point for the X100T and things like that. Um, but ProNeg High has been there for a long time. Um, however, my impression is that it performs very differently on the X-Pro2 than any of the previous Fuji cameras I've used. Um, I suspect that it was one of the film simulations that received um, the most love during the sensor update because um, the files just look better. Um, I, I was telling you guys, I, I pulled a number of the shots off onto my iPad over the weekend and I was looking at them going, I, I don't really want to edit these. I mean, there's not there's not really that much that I want to do. They look exactly the way I want them to, um, you know, not all of them, but, um, they're, it, they're just, there's something about the way that they're rendered and that the way that the, um, JPEG engine has actually assembled them. That is great. And I know this because I went in earlier today and tried to replicate that in Lightroom using the, uh, you know, the built-in profile and some basic adjustments. And I just was not getting, what I was getting out of the camera. So right. that's, uh, that's frustrating. Um, especially because in some cases it was like the exposure was just a bit under, or I wanted to raise the shadows somewhere and the JPEG is not giving me enough data to do that well. Um, but then trying to get back to the JPEG from the raw side of things, I just didn't manage. So now I'm kind of stuck. <laughs> Um, <laughs> yeah. You need to figure out your editing workflow. Yeah. But really it, Does it have to be, you know, similar to to what you get on the JPEGs? I mean, it, it, it's okay to have them be each each one have a different character. Oh yeah, and that's that's what I've ended up with. I mean, I I um, I basically aimed for a similar direction. And just to be clear, I'm not I'm not I wasn't trying to reproduce the uh, the film simulation because I think that that's 
you know, that was the goal. It, it just so happens that that film simulation was rendering things the way that I wanted them to look. And so I was trying to get to the same ballpark um, in Lightroom for that reason. And, uh, you know, I'll, I, I got close enough that it's not going to matter. And it's not like people are going to look at that and be like, oh, that's clearly not the right thing. It's, you know, if you look at them side by side, then you can tell, but otherwise um, you can't. And that's ultimately all that matters. Right. Well, I really, I really like the, the look of the picture that you showed us the other day on Slack. I mean, it looks really, really good. Yeah. And it's, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have guessed that it was a straight out of camera JPEG. I know. And that, that's what impressed me as well. I, I pulled it off on the iPad and I was like, wow, this, I didn't, I didn't touch this. Am I pulling this off the right card? Like this is, <laughs> this is really impressive. Yeah. Um, but it just goes to show that there is actually some substance behind the hype for the film simulations. Um, whatever magic Fuji's doing behind the scenes there to, uh, to render these is, uh, is, is really something, um, genuine and, um, to me, it does actually add value and it adds value in a way that I'm not able to easily replicate in my normal post-production workflow. Um, and the fact that I don't really have to, if I get it right in the camera is very appealing. Right. I'm just looking at the pictures you've uploaded to 500pixels.com and it's, wow, some of these are really awesome. Yeah. And for contrast, I, I we can link some of these in the show notes. I've, I've also shown you the uh, the raw edited versions and you can see some of the uh you know match some of the images between the two links and just kind of see where i got but um all right yeah it's uh it, it, i have to say i'm very very pleased with my with my uh camera decision yeah yeah i can see why <laughs> hey i'm just over here on ebay looking for prices of an x pro 2 <laughs> <laughs> don't mind me you should film Film the process with your GoPro. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. I want so much stuff. <laughs> <laughs> oh, did you guys know the X-Pro2 is 2000 Canadian dollars? Oh, yeah, it man. is expensive. I'm very glad that I caught it before the, uh, the price hike. Goodness. Yeah, but it does seem like more expensive than it should be for some reason. I don't know why, but for the same money, you can buy an A7 II and it just... Full frame. I don't know. Full frame is, yeah. you know, it, I'm just trying to get Marius's gears going. <laughs> yeah, and not just because it's the full frame is supposed to be better. Uh, I mean, because we tend to assume that the most expensive component of a digital camera today is the sensor, and making big sensors is expensive. So that's why full frame cameras have traditionally been priced a lot higher than APS-C and, of course, Micro Four Thirds and every other camera um so it kind of it, it's shocking to me to see such a high price for an APS-C camera and 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 not saying this to imply that it isn't any good I, I mean i really think it's exceptional but it's still i i would have expected it to be priced maybe on the 1300 american dollars or something like that yeah it's yeah. it's difficult to know where the pricing comes from in terms of like distribution because it might not be tied to the sensor complexity it might be uh i mean it might even be like research that was done to implement the film simulations or it might be uh you know all of the uh, for the x pro 2 in particular because of the unique form factor of a quasi rangefinder style thing um you know trying to make that work and trying to make the hybrid viewfinder work um that's a challenge. It's the extra SD card slot. That's what it is. Yeah, totally. it's a very expensive <laughs> slot. 
Did you take any picture of the mosquitoes? Um, I mean, I, I think I probably have mosquitoes in every picture. I know I had to, um, <laughs> as, as I was doing these raw edits, I, I had to uh, clone a few of them out um, because the poor actors were there, you know, being absolute all-stars um, because they did not have the bug netting, obviously. So they were, you know, out there right. in their in their costume with their makeup. And um, thankfully the makeup was a bit of a layer of defense, I think, because they, they were getting fewer bugs than us. But yeah, I, I, there were some scenes where they were there and the bugs were just all over them and I had to, <laughs> I had to clone them out for the photo. Um, wow. But it was, uh, it was crazy. I mean, we were, we literally had assistants that were doing very little other than spraying us down with bug spray periodically, um, <laughs> you know, and, and Shannon was using the, um, we have the, uh, Ronin gimbal, um, made by DJI, actually the same company that does the, um, Phantom four. Um, and it was, it's this stabilization rig that we use for the GH four that we were shooting it on, uh, the video. And, uh, the problem with it is that as you're holding it, your hands are exposed, right. And you can't swat mosquitoes off. So we, <laughs> It's like this awful experience when you're doing a take because wow. you look at your hands and you're like, there are currently eight mosquitoes sucking my blood as I film this. And, <laughs> oh man, oh. it's, uh, it, it was pretty, it was pretty rough. Um, I mean, we got, we got great footage and I actually got a bunch of drone stuff as well. Um, so we're very happy with it. I'm not, I'm not complaining. It's just, uh, yeah. FYI, if you ever go up North, um, <laughs> it's, Something to uh, bear in mind, especially during May here in Ontario. It's not, uh, it's not safe. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so we, we've been talking about chit-chat for almost an hour. Let's get into the very important topic of the week, which is the new photo mode of the Uncharted 4 video game. Yes. <laughs> the topic of the week. <laughs> yes. Okay, guys, I'm just going to resume my nap here. This is why we're all here. <laughs> I've been obsessed with this game for the past few weeks, and uh, this is part of, of the reason why it's a big part of why because it this hasn't it, it just hadn't ever happened before to me but as i played i was literally stopping every one two three four five minutes to take a picture and it, it got to the point where I, I i was even distracted by it like i was too afraid of missing interesting moments to capture that i was stopping the action and uh, I, right about when I was halfway through, I had to consciously uh, refrain from launching the photo mode and just, you know, say, I'm, I'm going to enjoy the rest of the story and, and not get distracted by this because it's really quite interesting. How about you, Marius? Because you've already finished the game as well. Yeah, well, we were kind of racing at the end there to see who would finish. Um, but yeah, I mean, I had the same experience. I, I tried to um, stay away from the photo mode, actually, uh, in my in my first playthrough, because I, I knew that if I started to really dig into it, I would just start obsessing and I would just lose the plot. I would basically, you know, just be like, oh, pause, yeah. photo, 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 photo. And then like, they'd get one line out and then I'd be back in photo mode. So, um, you know, I did, I did get some choice shots, but it's definitely the kind of thing where I want to go back through and, uh, and actually right. get some, some shots now that I've, I've played through the game and I'm not worried about that aspect of it. Um, but I just love that they included this. I mean, for the record, any game developer out there, if you include a photo mode, I will be very happy with you. Yeah, me too. So for people who don't know who this is, because we haven't I think we haven't properly introduced oh, true, it. Yep. Um, of course, Uncharted 4 is a PlayStation 4 video game. If you don't know that, 
you should stop listening right now and go buy a PS4 and go buy the game and play through it. Or not. Well, or not, or not. <laughs> you guys I mean. are ridiculous. If you're a loser. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so one of the new features that the PlayStation 4 introduced was the possibility of have to have these photo mode uh when you're playing a video game, which is that you can literally freeze the action and take control of the camera and just move the camera around in whatever way you like and take a picture of the scene. So you can, for example, if you're in a zombie game and you're fighting to stay alive, you can freeze the action right when you're going to die and get all sorts of gruesome scenes on, on record, you know, to send to your loved ones, because that's what you do. Naturally, yeah. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> But the most interesting thing about the implementation of the photo mode in Uncharted 4 is that you get all sorts of creative controls over the picture. You can manipulate pretty much anything you can do on a real camera. You can play with the depth of field. You can play with the with the uh, the, the field of view, the zoom, the angle, the all sorts of cool effects. And on top of that, you can add filters and play with the color. So it opens up a really fun playground for you to explore on top of the the game itself so that's a really interesting feature and uh, and it also helps that the game itself is so beautiful it's just it's one of the most visually stunning games and and the environments are so detailed oh yeah uh, i mean it's it's really a remarkable piece of uh, of game development and the fact that you can actually explore it in such detail and that the detail holds up when you're you know effectively pixel peeping um, is is terrific um, and did you notice that the characters in the game actually call you call you to look at the landscapes like you're driving a, a jeep in the middle of the African jungle and one character will say to you wow man what a view that's got to be the developers like showing off <laughs> well you know what I mean that's Fair enough, because frankly, the amount of time it takes to render a scene like that, like, yes, absolutely draw my attention to it. And, um, you know, I mean, I took a photo there. I took photos in some other places where even when the characters didn't say anything, the camera sometimes, you know, indicates that this is a scenic moment. It pulls out a little bit and, and just gives you a, a wider look at what's going on. Um, I also really appreciated that you could pause during cutscenes and enter photo mode because some of my, uh, you know, favorite shots that I got were actually stills from um, from cutscenes. Yeah, me too. The problem with that is that you cannot uh, move the camera around. But other than that, yeah, it was pretty cool. Yeah, and also I found that some of the filters sometimes don't work if it's a cutscene or, you know, some of the controls are... Yeah, if it's pre-recorded, you cannot really do much with it. But the one very surprising thing about this game is that there are very few pre-recorded cutscenes uh, during the game. Most of what you see is rendered in real time. And, and it's very difficult to tell the difference. Yeah, yeah. The, they blend in completely seamlessly. So yeah, it's, it's impressive. You yeah. know what's fun? I actually, I was thinking about this in the context of our discussion um, from a couple of weeks back about learning photography. And I, I think that a photo mode like this in a game is actually a really interesting way to introduce someone to um, the principles of what, um, you know, the controls in photography do. Because, for example, they don't have an explicit shutter speed 
um, dial, but they do have a control that allows you to adjust um, the level of motion blur, right. which is effectively what you would use. Like, it's a practical example of why you might be controlling shutter speed in a real world photography context. So it's kind of like a a way if you've if you've got someone who you know is a gamer friend and is also trying to pick up photography, this is a great way to um, to to have them explore some of that. Um, away from their camera uh, and and get very impressive images. I mean it's it's difficult to get a bad shot out of the photo mode which of course is the point. Um but I've also seen, you know, now that people have started to post their albums of of uncharted shots, I've I've seen some incredible incredible photography coming out of this game. So it's uh, you know, I'm almost hesitant to share any of what I took because again, it, for me it was just like a the occasional moment as I was trying not to get too obsessed during the first playthrough but yeah i mean there's there's boundless potential in this game for uh for, for getting you know great images within the um framework of the story so i i look forward to seeing what people do as uh you know i think there's a dlc announced isn't there yeah but i'm i'm not sure what it's about yeah i don't think anyone's sure but uh it's you know to me it just it's makes me happy because it means that there's going to be more to uh, to explore and more to shoot as I return to this game. Yeah, yeah, me too. W- what does DLC mean? Is it like downloadable content or something like that? Yeah, downloadable content. It's basically a way for developers to continue building upon a game after it's been released. So, uh, okay, you, this shows how much I care. <laughs> yeah, it's think of it like an expansion, basically. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Yeah, I'm not making fun of you guys. It's just not my forte yeah no no fair enough fair enough maybe one day i'll buy one just to see what all the hype is about and to take pictures in a video game or you know i could go to africa myself and take pictures of the real thing yeah you could but this does not take place in like real places plus plus i guess the video game would be cheaper (laughs) probably a little bit (laughs) probably just as real (laughs) 